0: Welcome to our latest episode of our Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast, covering the Financial Services and Markets Bill. My name is Simon Lovegrove, the Global Head of Financial Services Knowledge at Northern Rose Fulbright, and today I'm joined by my paralegal, Emily Stone, and together we're going to briefly cover what the bill proposes to do with retained EU law in the financial services space. Hi, Emily. Great to have you with us today.
1: Hi, Simon. Thank you. It's great to be here. And perhaps to start with Simon, to set the scene, can you say a few words about what EU retained law is, and for those not familiar with the concept, and also why the government wants to change it?
0: Yes, of course, Emily. Um, As some of our listeners will know, essentially retained EU law is a category of UK domestic law, which was created at the end of the Brexit transition period. It's made up of certain pieces of eu legislation that were cut and pasted onto the uk statute book
1: and specifically in relation to financial services
0: sure going back after the sort of 2008 global financial crisis the majority of new financial services regulation was developed and delivered at the eu level there's a very long list of eu legislative measures which our listeners will be familiar with and these include for example the second Markets in Financial Instruments Directive, MiFID II, the Markets in Financial Instruments Regulation, MIFIR, the European Markets Infrastructure Regulation, EMIR, and the Capital Requirements Directive IV and the Capital Requirements Regulation. All of the regulations were directly applicable in member states, and member states had to implement the directives through their own domestic legislation. Now, in the run-up to Brexit, HM Treasury conducted a significant program of creating secondary legislation which would unsure where necessary those important pieces of EU financial services legislation using the powers given under it, given to it, sorry, under the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018. HM Treasury also delegated powers to the UK financial services regulators, the FCA and the PRA to address deficiencies in their rules arising as a result of Brexit. Now, whilst this approach provided some stability and continuity in the immediate period after the UK left the EU, it also created a fairly complicated framework of regulatory requirements being located across UK domestic primary and secondary legislation, retained EU law, and of course, in the UK's financial services regulators' rules and guidance. In addition to the complexity, this framework also caused some practical issues. For example, the UK's financial services regulators have been restricted in how they can pursue their statutory objectives through their rules, as they've not been able to make changes to rules that are set out directly in retained EU law, except in some very limited cases. So to deal with these issues, the government wants to pursue a particular model for regulating financial services in the UK, and it calls this the FISMA model as it's based on the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000. Essentially what this model involves is the government moving a large number of detailed regulatory requirements, which currently sit in retained EU law, to the UK regulatory authorities rules and guidance. By doing this, it's much easier for the UK to update its regulatory requirements in the future to take into account, say, new products and markets and also deal with emerging risks and opportunities.
1: I see, and can you talk us through how the bill does this?
0: Sure, Emily. The starting point is that the bill sets out a framework to revoke retained EU law in the financial services space. Schedule 1 to the bill sets out a non-exhaustive list of financial services measures that are to be repealed. These include direct principal EU legislation, such as um, regulations, and these include the UK versions of MIFIR, EMIR, the CRR, the Market Abuse Regulation, uh, the CSDR, the Central Securities Depository Regulation, and the PRIPS Regulation. Also, within scope is secondary legislation, implementing or transposing EU obligations, EU delegated regulations, commission decisions, and implementing acts, and some parts of UK primary legislation as well. Whilst not technically retained EU law, the raft of Brexit deficiency-correcting instruments that made changes to such law will also be revoked.
1: And so what about retained EU law, which is already part of UK's financial services, regulators, rules and guidance?
0: That's a really good question. Um, retained EU law, which is already part of the UK's financial services, regulators, rules and guidance, will not be revoked through the bill. This is because these rules can be updated by the regulators themselves according to their normal processes established under the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000.
1: Thanks, Simon. And um, what about timing? Are we going to see the revocation of retained EU law soon?
0: Thanks, Emily. Interesting question. this. Um, firstly, importantly, the bill does not include a sunset provision by which the EU retained law set out in Schedule 1 to the bill needs to be repealed. As I mentioned a moment ago, the government envisages that many of the provisions in retained EU law will be replaced by the UK's financial services regulators in their rules and guidance rather than in legislation. When retained EU law is revoked, the UK regulators will need to replace the regulatory requirements contained in that retained EU law with appropriate rules reflecting their objectives. Now, the government expects this to take a number of years and will be a significant program of work for both the PRA and the FCA. So arguably, therefore, I don't think there'll be no big bang of changes. It's also worth noting that in some areas, HM Treasury and the UK's financial services regulators may conclude that that the most appropriate course of action is to replace a piece of retained EU law with rules that are materially the same as to what has been revoked. Now, the bill enables HM Treasury to exempt the regulators from the requirements to conduct a consultation and cost-benefit analysis if that is the case. So it may be possible that we might see relatively quickly where there won't be changes.
1: I see. Thanks, Simon. So, given that this process could generally take some time. What will happen to pieces of retained EU law that become out of date before they are revoked?
0: Good point. And the the government's aware of this problem. Um, During the period before revocation has fully taken effect, uh, the UK financial services regulators will be restricted in how they're able to pursue their statutory objectives. For example, the explanatory memorandum to the bill Gives the example that a regulator may consider that disclosure requirements should be enhanced to protect consumers against an emerging risk. If the relevant requirements are set out in retained EU law, whose revocation has not yet been commenced, they may be unable to give effect to this. So, to deal with this, the bill gives HM Treasury the power to make targeted modifications to retained EU law. However, these targeted modifications can only be made in relation the specific purposes, for example, protecting and enhancing the stability and integrity of the UK financial system.
1: The bill also says something about the PRA and FCA having regard to things specified specified by HM Treasury. Can you say some more about this?
0: Sure. Uh, the, The bill gives HM Treasury the power to require the PRA and FCA to have regard to things specified by HM Treasury when they are making rules and to explain how this has influenced their rules. The regulators must continue to act in a way that furthers their objectives. And the purpose of this power is really to enable the government to ensure that more specific public policy priorities can be reflected in regulator rulemaking where it considers that appropriate. The bill also enables HM Treasury to place obligations on the regulators to make rules in relation to specific areas of regulation.
1: Thanks, Simon. And as my final question, do you think this whole process will mean that financial services regulation in the UK will end up looking quite different to that of the EU?
0: That's a really interesting question. I think the answer to that remains to be seen. And we do have a separate podcast series covering EU-UK regulatory divergence. In my view, perhaps the key point to note is that the UK financial services regulators are being given the chance to jettison those elements of EU-derived law that haven't worked so well for firms and markets. On the other hand, though, it's worth noting that the UK was instrumental in a number of EU initiatives, whilst the UK was a member of the EU. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the future. I think in the immediate term, there are going to be some changes. For example, the bill is making a number of changes to the UK versions of mifir and Emir through what it calls, perhaps confusingly, transitional amendments, which give effect to last year's Wholesale Markets Review. We're going to cover these changes in more detail in future podcasts, but for today's purposes they include, from the UK MiFIR perspective, the removal of the Article 23 share trading obligation and Article 5 double volume cap mechanism. Also whilst the Article 28 UK MiFIR derivatives trading obligation remains, there will be some changes. From a UK EMEA perspective, the bill formally realigns the counterparties in scope of the derivative trading obligation with those in scope of the clearance obligation in MiFIR.
1: That's very interesting. Thank you, Simon. And that concludes today's podcast. Watch out for further podcasts on the bill, which will be advertised on our regulation tomorrow blog. Thank you for listening. <laughs>